Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse, host of our ongoing conversation about disruption, innovation, and how technology is changing everything around us. We're recording today's episode in mid-February, and to me, February is a kind of unremarkable, yucky month, except for three fixtures in our calendar. Number one, Valentine's Day. Number two, the unofficial recognition in Leaf Nation that this won't be our year. Just saying that, Toronto. And number three, it's Black History Month. And yes, you may be wondering why RBC Disruptors is talking about Black History Month. You know, when it comes to innovation and all that Canada should be taking advantage of, we've talked for years now about the power of diversity. And we've been asking why Canada, and yeah, we're the global leader in diversity, but why is Canada not able to do more with what we have within us and all around us? So to me, Black History Month is a great moment to ask what Canadian entrepreneurs have achieved and what we should be doing. Whenever I get to talk about Black History Month, I love to share the story of Thornton Blackburn. He was an escaped slave who in 1837 bought Upper Canada's first taxi cab and launched The City. That was the name of Toronto's first taxi company. And he made a profit through a novel idea that we might call ride hailing. Yeah, Thornton Blackburn kind of invented Uber nearly 200 years before Uber. Thornton and his wife Lucy became well-known landlords, philanthropists, and champions of public education in Toronto. And yet here we are nearly 200 years later, and most Canadians, I fear, would be pressed to name a prominent black entrepreneur. That's unfortunate. It's unacceptable. It's also what our two guests are trying to correct with some remarkable investments in black innovators. Isaac Olawalafe is a Toronto-based real estate entrepreneur, angel investor, and philanthropist. He's also the founder and general partner of DreamMaker Ventures, a Toronto-based early-stage venture capital outfit. He's working with Abdullah Snowbar, the executive director of the DMZ, the world-renowned innovation zone at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. Since its inception, the DMZ has helped scale 450 companies that have raised close to $750 million and fostered more than 4,000 jobs. Isaac, Abdullah, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So before we get into what I think are some pretty interesting issues, I wonder if you might tell us a bit about your own heroes in entrepreneurship and innovation. Isaac, who's, who's your Thornton Blackburn? Yeah, so from a Canadian perspective, there's two individuals that come to mind, um, the late Raymond Chang and uh, Michael Lee Chin. Uh, when you look at both of those individuals, they both 25, 30 years ago um, came into the financial industry and creating their own businesses uh, within the mutual fund space, um, growing their businesses uh, strong within the Toronto and Canada as a whole, and Michael E. Chen becoming um, the first black billionaire in Canada. Um, but another key part of why I look at the work they've done is, is how they've given back to the to the community and to to Canada as a whole. As being philanthropists, um, we're giving back to different initiatives from the different universities and um, arts gallery and other initiatives in the in the city. So I'll say those are the two individuals um, when I look at black entrepreneurs from a Canadian perspective. Um, that would come to mind. How how did you get into entrepreneurship? I was I was born in Nigeria. I came to Canada when I was four uh, with my my parents, um, oldest out of four. Uh, we lived in the Jane and Finch area uh, for a few years, and then we moved to the Martin Grove and Albion area. And I think the biggest transition was really when we moved to Woodbridge. It was a big uh, 
environment shift um, going from from Toronto to Vaughan. And when we made that shift, um, I was exposed to um, other entrepreneurs. I was exposed to a different community, uh, predominantly the Italian community in Woodbridge. Um, this would have been about 25, 25 years ago. My parents were, you know, entrepreneur mind minded individuals. Uh, my my dad was took engineering at Ryerson um, and went back to Nigeria. Got married and then came here. And my mom was a uh, was a vet uh, doctor at the Toronto General Hospital. But they both had the entrepreneur mindset of, of you know, sacrificing, investing, and just putting in the work and what they believe. And through both of those exposure really told me that something that I wanted to be um, was in business, in real estate, and sort of creating my own destiny. Um, when I went to University of Toronto, um, that's when I started the company, DreamMaker. So that would have been about 16 years ago. And the premise behind DreamMaker was create a company that will be a tool to create generational wealth, not only for myself, my family, but the community as a whole. And the company has gone from going from a real estate brokerage firm to a property management company and now a real estate development company. Um, and then about five years ago, through our relationship with Ryerson University, is when we jumped into the tech space and launching DreamMaker Ventures. And, and through launching DreamMaker Ventures, we've been um, able to get access to a lot of um, cool and interesting and inspiring young entrepreneurs within the tech space from DMZ and other incubators around the city. Um, and, and now we've just launched Dream Legacy Foundation um, to sort of do that advocating for us on the, on the foundation side. Bill, I wonder if you can walk us through a bit of the DMZ story and how, uh, how it, uh, it, it came into the space. Yeah, so uh, we've uh, DMZ started up in 2010 actually, to giving students uh, a chance at Ryerson University a chance to build a business and to kind of bring it to life, um, and it's evolved quite a bit, John. So we we went from being you know very early stage, you know, bringing people with just an idea uh, to to young and dundas and having giving them a chance to kind of integrate and uh, uh, and uh, and kind of collaborate with other students that were like minded, uh, and over the past 10 years we've evolved quite a bit. So we've really become now a mature environment for for founders and startups who are looking to build world-class businesses. Uh, we help companies um, in uh, in early stage all the way up to late stage in the startup context. So, um, you know, people that are looking to bring product market fit and trying to get early revenue, all the way up to people that are trying to build out their sales processes and being able to scale their the, the scale their revenue kind of in sales perspective and pipeline. And uh, uh, they would come to the DMZ and, and kind of in being able to do that. And we have seen, you know, Huge growth in the space from the quality of, of founders that are now joining the DMZ uh, and even applying to other other environments, to the quality of technology and companies that are actually being able to 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 qualify as a Canadian entity, uh, to the uh, to the engagement from government to corporate to to the whole mix. So it's it's an exciting time, but there's still a lot of work to do. We move so fast sometimes that we forget what's actually behind us. And we forget to kind of, you know, to kind of bring others along the ride with us or along the journey with us that we, we just unintentionally leave people behind where we know if we don't leave them behind, we actually gain more. So it's about, uh, you know, and to, this is to the point of why Isaac has now been, I, I'd say, a visionary in being able to bring a program to the landscape in Canada to actually allow us to kind of to take to, to be laser focused on bringing black entrepreneurs to the forefront. A, a community that has probably be, has much less representation in the space, um, uh, a community that has huge potential, but a community that has a less, uh, a less of an ability to actually associate with the tech community at large. 
So how do we kind of make sure that we're not leaving that behind, that we provide, and the keyword I always talk about is access. There's uh, little to almost no access for the black community in Toronto and Canada to be able to leverage this kind of space because there isn't much of role models to look towards. So in the DMZ, you don't see enough, uh, or Isaac, you didn't see enough people of color? Well, I think it was just in general. You know, again, I was was fortunate when we gave the gift to the Student Learning Center, which is now the Sheldon Levy uh, Learning Center, and it was a Isaac Olafe Digital Media Lab. You know, I, I got the the tour from from former President Sheldon Levy, and then we went down to the basement at that time of the of the DMZ. Saw some of the companies, and I was just so intrigued um, by how the a university was investing in in entrepreneurs, student entrepreneurs as well too. Um, and that's when I got involved with the DMZ, and companies were approaching me, and that's when we said, you know, let's launch Dreammaker Ventures. So I would go to different events, whether it be at the DMZ, 111, Mars, Communitech, and I was just intrigued on how the tech space was growing. And I started to do more research and say, you know, how does tech have an indirect impact on real estate? So I looked at, you know, New York, Silicon Valley and see, you know, is this, you know, is a tech space something that as a company, do we want to be involved just as an investor or service provider, or do we want to help change and build the future of the tech space? In Toronto, um, and and the federal government and other politi- uh, politicians were were focusing on diversity, and you know I start to hear diversity a lot uh, within the tech space, and as I was going within the ecosystem, I still saw a lack of visible minorities, um, and instead of complaining about it, you know I I met with then President Mohammed and um, Abdullah, and I said, okay, guys, you know. Ryerson is already known for not only for tech, but for diversity. You know, how can we bring the two together? And that's when the whole idea of the Black Innovation Fellowship came about. And I didn't just want it to be about DreamMaker or Isaac starting the Black Innovation Fellowship. So we said, you know, let's get some key partners involved. And we were fortunate to bring on Shopify and Woman, uh, the Women's Foundation to come on board and say, let's, let's launch this program. And so far it has been um, great response from the community and and from the ecosystem as a whole to say that you know what this is something that we could all be be part of. Uh, Abdullah, you you mentioned the word access, and one of the things we 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 think about at RBC is kind of the, the what I call the geography of opportunity, and how do we ensure that opportunities are getting to to communities across the country, uh, virtual communities as well as uh, as uh, physical physical ones. How do you ensure that the opportunities at DMZ, which is in downtown Toronto, Young and Dundas, are available to people, I don't want to say regardless of geography, that's probably unrealistic, but that it reaches maybe those uh, geographic areas, uh, Isaac talked about uh, where he grew up, that um, may not, you know, kids may not be coming in contact with uh, the university system at all, but they may not have the opportunity to... Uh, get to the DMZ. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think for us, we're not trying to create limitations based on geography. So we do try, we do try quite a bit to, you know, and we consider ourselves to be a national organization with an international focus as well. Um, and uh, we have, uh, we have partnered with different municipalities and rural communities across the entire country. We go to different communities and try to 
deploy out different workshops and support to engage and, and kind of get people excited. Uh, but this is a bigger problem than just DMZ, John. I think this is something that we all have to kind of come at collectively. And uh, what we're trying to prove here uh, within the city of Toronto is that there's a it's a real problem. There, it, it exists quite a bit where we live. Let's try to you know make a proof point here and kind of say how can we replicate this model elsewhere and make sure that we're not uh, we're not just making this as a one time or one off uh, one off initiative. Um, so it does take a you know and and we are even to the extent of the program today and how it exists, we're actually double clicking a little bit more and saying, okay, so we know that there's big challenges with black entrepreneurs, but we know that there's probably even bigger challenges with black female entrepreneurs. Then we know that it's probably even incredible challenges with black female Muslim entrepreneurs that probably will have less and less access. So we, we are trying to define beyond just geography. It's also the individuals, the people, what would, what the limitations might actually be there. And hopefully we can spread that to different communities and geography. You know, we live in a massive country. Geography will always be a challenge for us. Uh, but, uh, we want to be able to kind of get into, uh, um, uh, at risk communities, which, you know, Ryerson's attached to essentially region park. And we're very proud about that. And we want to be able to kind of change the landscape there as well. We're running tons of programming with high schools, uh, in marginalized communities as well. We're not looking just for the top high schools in terms of performance and this and that, because we don't believe that's going to be the actual, the, that's, that, that won't be the signs of success. As a matter of fact, we want to find people that have the true hustle and the mindset and, and the, and the grit to kind of perform and develop and, and grow to become really successful entrepreneurs. So it's a time, it's a matter of time. Um, but, uh, but it, it isn't going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen with just Isaac. And that's the reason why we're doing this is because we want to create more visibility, um, to hopefully get this replicated. And I, and one thing that I loved when Isaac and I first met in the beginning about this and Isaac touched on it quickly, he doesn't want this to be associated to him. He wants this to be, he wants this to be a program that eventually will become bigger than we ever imagined, bigger than DMZ, bigger than Isaac, bigger than any of the partners that we actually have that will hopefully be replicated by others because they truly believe in the impact that it drives. What, what do you think are the biggest barriers to, especially young black people or to black youth becoming entrepreneurs? You know, and, and I think that's part of the reason why we, we set up the program at Ryerson. Cause when I looked at Ryerson, I said, what does Ryerson have that is leading globally? Um, they have a top incubator, right? So as, as an entrepreneur, um, as a tech entrepreneur, the, what you want to be able to do is collaborate with other entrepreneurs where you can share ideas, um, share your stories, um, and, and gain new ideas on how to tackle challenges that you face as an entrepreneur. And that's incubation. Um, so we said, how do we incorporate more black entrepreneurs into a top incubator? That's why that was the first reason why we launched it. But then as you're in that incubator, it's also access to mentorships, right? Because, you know, as a mentor, you're very busy with your day-to-day job. So there's only a few places you could go, right, um, from time to time. And the DMZ and other key incubators in the city are, are one of those locations, and then as you get access to top mentors, then there's resources. You know, venture capitalists are also very busy. You know, whether it's um, a bank venture capitalist, insurance venture capitalist, um, you know, they, they come to one or two different locations to, to, to look at different companies they want to invest in. Um, and DMZ is one of those places. So not only did we create access to a place where they could be incubated, a place where they could get mentorship and collaboration, but now also a place where they could get access to resources. Right. So the, the, the main barrier around access, um, that uh, a lot of black entrepreneurs were, were, were missing, um, we've now created just by one partnership with the DMZ. 
I think a lot of what Isaac spoke to are, are, are very true. I think people do want to associate themselves with people that look like them and have lived like them and have kind of come from backgrounds like them as well. So we, we got to make sure that we can actually build an environment where we're not focusing on just on hitting targets and having a marketing play out of it. We want to be able to really, and I think what we're doing in this position is actually trying to build real entrepreneurs that are going to have real profound economic impact in the country and be global powerhouse businesses. And that's the, that's the end goal. That's really what we're trying to accomplish here to ensuring that we're not just pushing the youth of this country into areas that may not that might not actually be relevant in the next five to ten years. It's actually positioning them and kind of getting them to think about the right areas, the right sectors, the right career opportunities that will hopefully get them to be contributors rather than just consumers, if you will. Um, uh, and uh, and I, I always say one of my favorite stories um, is uh, about a, a young person uh, where she kind of gave me the, the, you know, she opened up my eyes about building out incentives. How do you build incentives for young? I'm talking about youth in high school, elementary, because that's as early, that's how early you want to start in shaping their minds so that they're not thinking that they have limitations. But I get an email one day from this young, young lady uh, saying, I want to come and see you. I have a business idea. You know, I, I don't usually take these meetings, but I took this one. I don't know why. And I did. And uh, I walk into, uh, I walk into the boardroom at the DMZ and I open the door and it's a 12 year old, 12 year old girl called Amina. She's sitting and she's sitting there, and I look at this. I'm like, "You're, you're going to pitch me a business?" She's like, "Yep, I'm going to. I'm pitching you a business, and I want to. And I want to be. I want to get into the DMZ." She grab a seat, please. I'm like, "Okay." So I grab a seat. She has a laptop. She opens up her 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 deck, and she starts pitching. And I kid you not, she's better than some pitches I've ever seen in my entire life. And she's just passionate. And her pitch, her whole pitch was about how do you build through you know 3D printers, Barbies, and models that actually reflect. Immigrants and people of color beyond what you just see in the real Barbie or Kendall. And she's like, that's I awesome. want to, I want to build a, bar- a Barbie that's going to be a bit bigger, a bit colored, you know, not, not blue eyes, black eyes, you know, not, not white skin, black skin and not or brown skin, you know, and it was just an idea that she had in mind. And she said, and she, and she is pitching with complete conviction and passion. And I loved it. And I said, okay, do you have customers? Like, yep, I already have investors or parents. I have a, I already have, you know, early, uh, early users, her entire class. You know, she was, I think, in grade five at that point. Um, and she just said, I'm ready to go. I want to go. And I'm sitting, and, I, and the, the, I, all I can think about is, how did you even hear about us? She's like, well, I know I was doing this thing with Canada, Canada learns, Canada learns code. And I was walking to the DMZ and they did a tour over here and I saw all this candy in the space. And I said, how can I find a way to continue having this candy forever? So I thought I just build a business and come to the DMZ. And, you know, and this is a small, funny example, right? But to her, it was the idea that she got access to come to an environment like that through a bigger organization that really understood the value of having youth engage at the youngest age possible. To her, it was the fact that she saw candy at the DMZ. You know, you know, openly out there, and she said, "I want to have access to this all the time." So, you know, and uh, and you start to realize that you have to build incentives at the early days. You have to make sure that you're looking at the youngest people possible. That you want to inspire them to be, uh, to be what they want to be, and look at people like Isaac and put Isaac in the spotlight to say these are the kind of things that these are the kind of people that you can become. Isaac came here and he, you heard a story quite remarkable where he was to where he is today. And it was honestly, I, maybe, I, did you dream about this, Isaac? Cause you, you know, <laughs> he built the company based, you know, and it's called Dream, Dream Maker Ventures. He, he woke up, he probably dreamt about something, woke up and said, you know what? Let's get out there and do this. You got to give people the, the ability to understand that in Canada, you can do that. Um, 
I got to go to an amazing um, session. It was the OVO Summit last uh, summer, and we're we're partners with uh, OVO, and it it was awesome to be in this auditorium with uh, largely high school students who got to come to this summit uh, in the middle of summer, and their ideas were were incredible. They're 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 going to be kind of the next Drakes of merchandising, and one of the problems we got to think about solving. And Black History Month is a great kind of moment to think hard about this as we're remembering those beautiful days of summer. Uh, here we are in February. But how do, you know, what do we need to ensure that those young kids coming to the OVO Summit or to these other sessions that you guys are, are, are critically involved in, what do they need to, to excel? Talked about mentorship. Yeah. What else do we got to be thinking about to ensure success? You know, uh, I was speaking at a conference yesterday about diversity and inclusion and what's the difference between the two. And I always talk about diversity being where you're invited to the dance and inclusion saying, come to the floor and actually dance. Right. And and that's where, you know, co- corporations, banks really need to play the role of not just diversity, but inclusion. You know, how do we more so speak about the inclusion piece? And by doing that is really helping the economy as a whole. There's a lot of stats that shows out there um, that more diverse groups um, is a is a higher revenue um, uh, longevity on the on the business. So there's a there's a business sense. It's not just a you know social feels good to be doing it, but there's actually a true business sense that the more diverse um, an organization is, the more different perspective that you have in that business or in that strategy um, and and in, in commercially trying to do a transaction. So I think if if corporations really truly and intentionally take that strategy on, you know, opportunities will be created for a lot of the youths that that truly are just looking for for opportunities. And I would say let's not keep it let's not make it a pointing game where we're going to depend on one group or a few groups to to roll out the entire the entire kind of program or support for youth to be able to engage in this space. There's a fundamental responsibility to professionalize these kind of things. And by professionalize, I mean it takes, it takes the village, the entire village to kind of come in and say, government, corporate, VC, university, incubator, accelerator, we need to come in and we need to professionalize this because people need to understand this is actually important. We're not, this is not a one-off. This needs to become a, a part of a part of our cloth, a part of our thread of what we do and how we do things. And when you do it like that, again, you're sending a strong signal, a strong message to people in all different walks of life to say, wow, I actually feel wanted. I actually feel like there's a, there's room for me to participate, that this isn't just a, a, a show and dance. This is actually a, a, a probable opportunity for me to, to grow and scale and succeed as an individual. And, you know, we, that's where we get, again, back to, you know, you mentioned Drake. We need more Drakes. To kind of get people to inspire it because people will come when Drake shows up and Drake has the power of message, right? And, and, and the OVO Fest in itself or the OVO kind of thing that you guys did, whenever Drake speaks, people are going to listen. On the, on the DMZ front, whenever Isaac speaks, people do listen. So you got to get people platforms to speak on this front and it takes, it takes the, a, a village to kind of make that, uh, make these things kind of come together. Abdul, I want to go back to a point you mentioned about talent, because that's um, that's another critical word that we often treat lightly. When we talk about entrepreneurship, often there's that 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 kid or that young person with a great idea, maybe with capital, maybe the capital came from uh, the bank of uh, mom and dad. Uh, they've got their their early market, but the uh, 
missing ingredient often in those early stages is talent. How do um, entrepreneurs need to be thinking? And I know you, you you work a lot on this at the DMZ. I wonder if you can share a few insights into um, what entrepreneurs need to be thinking about in the 2020s in terms of building that that uh, talent. Yeah. Well, first of all, I I. I I think entrepreneurs in general in Canada have to be thinking about more of a, of a, of an opportunity to kind of educate and get a, a certain kind of generation excited about what they're doing so that they're not left behind as well. Um, and one of the stories I, I just share quickly is about one of the programs we run at the, at the DMZ called Basecamp, which is an eight week program we run in the summertime strictly for high school students where we're actually bringing them together to uh, collaborate with people that they've never met before over eight weeks and build a business. The intention there is not about actually creating a business and kind of, and, and, or, and if it is, that's fine, but, you know, building a business and running with it. It's about kind of going through the process of actually what, what it means to build an idea, you know, think of an idea, build a business, fail with the business and kind of, and kind of go through that, that whole process. We don't want a hundred thousand people to all become the founders or entrepreneurs who are building companies. We want people to understand they can actually either do that or they can be active participants in these, in the entrepreneurship and startup world. I think when it comes back to startups and what they what they need to do is to realize what kind of investments they have to be able to make in in people um, in in terms of getting them to be able to uh, to grow their own self potential within an organization to look beyond the scope of your typical um, hires of highly educated Harvard educated Stanford educated and look at people that are actually able to drive potential who can learn quickly but are incredibly passionate and then, and again have the grit you know and that's what you're looking for when you're when you're looking for people to drive a business with you in early days right so uh, and you know these are challenges that uh, that uh, that uh, everybody faces and we, we talk so much about the talent gap in, in the country and the fact that people are leaving and the fact that we want we need to preserve Canadian talent in the country and make sure that people are looking at this place as, as the as the uh, as a place to be rather than just a, a source for education and then kind of leave from there uh, and uh, you know it's going to be momentum you know let's make sure that when companies are doing well let's celebrate those let's celebrate those stories let's make sure when companies have a big raise let's put let's put up you know tombstones up in the in the global mail and everything else and say these guys just raised a hundred million dollars wonder if I can get your thoughts on unconscious bias Abdullah, what um, I'm curious what entrepreneurs in in the DMZ system tell you about the unconscious bias, or maybe it's conscious bias that they're up against, and how we can better resolve that. Well, I, I do have to say that right off the bat, we are in a much more fortunate position on the basis that we are in Toronto, the most diverse city in the world, and I think there's been a lot more acceptance towards you know you know the idea of working and collaborating and just respecting each other. Um, uh, I think the challenge will always come back to the fact that people just don't know what they don't know. Uh, and that's essentially where, where we kind of lead back into unconscious bias is, is that nobody, we unfortunately sometimes don't understand the opportunities that exist within something that's right in front of you because we've just been, we've been, we've just been washed to, to kind of think in a different way in a different manner. Um, and I think people, uh, generally speaking, have these perceptions that you do something that we're always, we've been so normalized to think of or do before it's going to lead to a certain result. You kind of get out of that scope of, of doing that one thing. You're probably going to lead, you know, a closer path to failure. And we have to be able to showcase that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, collectively as a diverse city, as a diverse country, the actual power of all and that we were never made equal, um, is actually part of our strength. And we got to make sure that we can leverage that to support, you know, uh, companies and their mindsets and the way that they think and the way that they actually do, uh, and, and build their businesses. So it's, a uh, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those, uh, uh, uh kind of 
challenging concepts, but it's it's real. One thing that we don't uh, that's probably not very Canadian to speak of uh, is the fact that you know we are we do want to push people to win. You, you you push people to you know play to win, but when you fail fail with wisdom and understand the wisdom behind it. And I think that's that's probably one of the challenges that we don't talk to enough in the country. Uh, you know, number one, we typically play and we we to, to win in Canada for sure, but we're we're too nice about it. Um, and and then when we fail, we fail and we're really hard on ourselves because we think that failure is actually it's not it's not part of the process. It's just pure failure. Um, and I think uh, you know we got to embrace what I always call the humble brag, and uh, we got to make sure that we can speak to uh, more of our successes, but also equally share a lot of our failures as a method to get people to understand this is just part of the journey, part of the st- part of the process itself. That's a great way of putting it. I remember hearing from a uh, uh, great Canadian in the Valley, Tamath Pulapatia, who's of uh, Sri Lankan origin, grew up in Ottawa, Waterloo, co-op student off to the Valley, one of Facebook's early executives. And he had a great expression that you're either winning or learning. In his mind, there's no such thing as failure. It's either you're winning or learning. Um, so good, uh, good way to look, good way to put it. I wonder if in, uh, in our remaining minutes, if, if I can turn to the, um, to the platform economy and how entrepreneurs, particularly black entrepreneurs, can take advantage of this new, uh, this new economy, this new landscape. Uh, we have an amazing Canadian company in Shopify that is trying to work with entrepreneurs, producing, selling almost anything and t- t- giving them access to global global markets. So it's not just Shopify. There's there's all sorts of other platforms that entrepreneurs are able to use now to um, to get to those global markets we were talking about uh, at the uh, the beginning of 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 the show. Isaac, maybe I can start with you and just ask: Is it uh, is it different? For an entrepreneur, if you're investing in uh, in a tech startup, if if they're focused on the platform economy, uh, obviously the metrics are different. But in the spirit of entrepreneurship, what's different? And for black entrepreneurs, is is that better? Uh, the platform economy, or does it come with uh, different sets of challenges? Well, I think uh, when you look at the platform economy is leveraging infrastructure, especially when you look at Shopify, you know, if you're able to leverage an online infrastructure, the the, the entry cost of getting into that business goes down drastically. Um, and from the black community uh, point of view is leveraging your insight into culture, right? So I know a few companies in the e-commerce space uh, that have been able to leverage Shopify for for beauty design or for uh, clothing apparel um, or even now for food. Um, and the, the boutique hotel we have by the airport, we're talking to a few individuals within the community and saying, how do we leverage this kitchen into sort of a kitchen hub for different uh, brands or different types of cultural dishes um, that you may not be able to get from one restaurant uh, to the other, leveraging a platform, leveraging an, an app that is easily distribute, uh, easy to distribute out to, to the masses without that overhead cost. Um, so I think when you're, when you're looking at, uh, and when I'm looking at an entrepreneur to invest in that's leveraging platforms, I see how fast can that, um, that product um, go out to the masses um, knowing that they don't have that upfront cost of a storefront or infrastructure or lease, et cetera, and using that savings to now market um, that platform to the, to the general audience. Do you think businesses should be uh, labeled, whether it's in the platform economy or, uh, or any, any, any other economy? By labeling, I mean, uh, uh, there's been a, uh, a movement in some um, 
some cities to have black-owned businesses labeled as such. Is that is that a good move or no, something no, you'd I, avoid? I, I don't. I don't think like again. We you know do we talked about is it, like even with the Black Innovation Fellowship. I'm I'm hoping. You know, in three to five years, there's no need of the Black Innovation Fellowship, you know, because now you just, what, just like, you know, women on corporate boards, you know, you know, you could talk about it, talk about it, and then you don't need to talk about it because you just walk into any corporation or any board and see uh, women on the boards, right? So that's where we want in, in a few years, you walk into any incubator and you're just seeing, you're seeing the citizens that live in the city also represented in those incubators really so it's so there's i don't want to do any labeling because i don't think it's needed um it's just being um, intentional in trying to create a, le- a level playing field um so that when um, when those individuals get that opportunity it, it becomes a competitive advantage uh, Abdullah, what do you think in terms of labeling is it something we need or should move beyond no i think we i think i think we move beyond it i don't think it's something that's uh, that's that's uh, that's going to probably serve us in any better way, or, or kind of make us better in what we do and how we do things. And uh, just you know, leveraging platform economies, I think it just it gives a chance for people to to who have the opportunity to move faster, better, easier, and kind of you know get the chance and hustle hard. And uh, and how are you, how are you coaching or advising uh, your entrepreneurs to take advantage of the? Or to to work on 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 platforms. Well, one of the things you know, I I spent a few years in the Canadian Armed Forces, and one of the things that we were always told there is that you use all available resources, and if that's one of the resources available to you, you're going to use it if it's going to get you to market faster, if it's going to give you a chance to succeed high, better. So you know, we'll advise and our our entrepreneurs and residents who we have an incredible uh, a group supporting us at the DMZ will advise our founders and our companies on whatever makes most amount of sense to them. It's all relative, you know, to the person, what they're trying to do, the industry that they're trying to get into. Uh, but if it means using Shopify as a, as a, as a method of, of success, then we're going to do that. And there's no, there's no need to shy away from that. I think it's part of the, again, part of the journey. We're in the middle of uh, Black History Month. I wonder what you think Canadians should be thinking about in terms of advancing black entrepreneurship. What's the one or two things that uh, collectively we should be leaning into. I think that some of the areas that we want to make sure that we're we're thinking about in Black History Month is is first and foremost access. And again, we're in a good position to be to be putting these things forward and ensuring that we can create the right programming, ensuring that we can actually bring the right players to the table. So let's not just let's not just say that we want to talk about Black History Month because it's Black History Month. Let's make sure we're actually putting initiatives behind it and that you know we we put our money where our mouth is. Uh, number two, it's about celebrating. The right people, uh, and in a space that people are not usually used to seeing people being celebrated in. So, uh, you know, let's put technology entrepreneurs at the forefront and the spotlight, and say, "Thank you for doing what you've done. Tell us more about it, and how can we actually get more people to follow in the same suit?" So, it's uh, that's uh, I think those are areas that we can probably get more uh, uh, more following in and more excitement behind. Um, and hopefully, you know, again, we change the game. And in the next session that we do, hopefully, five years from now, John, we're not talking about black. No, Black Innovation Fellowship because it's become a norm in society and the numbers have increased. And maybe we're talking about another new challenge that we as Canadians are in the best position possible to change. Uh, Abdullah, you had a great line uh, from the Canadian Armed Forces that uh, we need to use all available resources. And it made me think that that uh, especially includes people, use all available people. And that's really what this conversation has been about. How do we access and create access for everyone across society? Because that's just going to create more opportunity for uh, for for everyone. 
I want to thank you both for uh, for being part of RBC Disruptors. Isaac Abdullah, thanks for, for thank joining us. Thank you very us. much. No pleasure. This is great. You've been listening to RBC Disruptors. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to subscribe. Use your favorite podcast platform and submit a rating. That really helps us reach a wider audience. You can also learn more about our work at rbc.com slash disruptors. For RBC, I'm John Stackhouse. Thanks for listening.